He is risen. Yeah, you got it. I smell the flowers. See the sunshine. Jesus rules. The tomb is empty. Death is defeated. Evil is vanquished. Every every word, every word that Jesus ever said is now backed up. 100. Our guy is totes legit. That's not Latin. I just made it up. Jesus is risen. Reality has gotten a permanent makeover. And our lives can now enter into that. I was reading a Facebook post from a pastor friend of mine. I think he's retired now. But he was saying something like, Hey, all you pastor friends of mine, preparing Easter sermons. Hey, just go up there and tell the story. Give some illustration. The story is inspiring. The power is in the story. Something like that. Well, he's not wrong. Strictly speaking, I I get his point. I don't question his faith. I think he means well. But you know, I don't think such an approach approach is adequate for Easter. I mean, of course we tell the story. But I get a wee bit nervous about well-meaning attempts to emphasize the Easter story. It sounds like we're slotting it into some kind of inspirational story category like some really spicy chicken soup for the soul or something like that. Something you'd find on the magazine rack in the doctor's office kind of thing. It doesn't cut it for me. You can't tame the risen Jesus of Easter, tiger, into a house cat. I think my friend meant well. I know what he's saying. But I don't think it's enough. I agree with David French. David French is an evangelical Christian and religious freedom lawyer and an Iraq war vet who writes extensively on engaging contemporary issues, policy, controversies from a Christian point of view. He's very very courageous. I think he's our finest Christian public intellectual right now engaging in these public debates about hot topics. He had an article today called Easter is Everything. Easter is Everything. It's a red pill, blue pill moment. Remember the Matrix? I was watching that recently while working out. It's still a masterpiece. Now, it's not for everybody. It's violent. There's fights, battles. There's some unchristian things reflected in the movie. Consult your ratings and viewers' guides, right? Nevertheless, if you watch it, you can see why it caught the attention of a lot of Christians early on. I don't think the filmmakers of The Matrix are actually Christian themselves. But it's remarkable how the film's storyline does have a lot in common with some key Christian claims. The film storyline in The Matrix reveals that humanity thinks it's free, but is actually in bondage. And there's a path to freedom from that bondage that takes you into new reality, but you have to choose. Do you want to take the blue pill or the red pill? And at one moment, Neo, the main character, who it turns out is kind of a messiah figure, it turns out that even non-specifically Christian people can't get away from the idea that they need a messiah, so he shows up in their movies of their own making. Interesting little fact. 
the Messiah keeps showing up everywhere in some form, right? We must need it. We must need him. Anyway, at some point, uh, Neo, the main character, gets a choice. He's told, you take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Neo takes the red pill, and his world and the whole world is changed, changed forever. The movie holds up really well. This is a red pill, blue pill moment here at Easter time. David French writes, We've just passed a dreadful milestone in our country. One million lives lost to COVID-19. All that's a number on top of the escalating deaths of despair and the normal losses, normal losses to cancer, heart disease, and other maladies, including gun violence, that destroy our mortal flesh. Our nation, David writes, is absorbing such a wave of death that the wealthiest most technologically advanced and the most powerful nation in the world, that's us, is experiencing a decline in life expectancy. David writes, there are millions of Americans who are gathering around gravesites too soon. They, they're placing their flowers and mementos and they mourn, but Easter is everything. There is reason for comfort. There's a reason why believers speak the name of their friend, their father, their mother, greet them in the present tense. There's a reason why we can look at that headstone and say, where death is your victory, where death is your sting. C.S. Lewis writes, the New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. He's the first fruits, the pioneer of life. He has faced, he has forced open the door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. As Bonner from U2 says about Jerusalem, that is the place where death died. That's Easter's red pill. And when you really take it, it rocks your world. It will upend your whole perspective about reality. And it will give you a new purpose every single day. It all starts early on the first day of the week while it was still dark. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, who we think is John, who wrote this Gospel of John, the one Jesus loved. And she said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. So here we have three different people, Mary, Peter, 
and we think John, responding to the empty tomb in three different ways. One believes, one is silent, and one, as we're going to find out, misunderstands everything. I love how scripture leaves room. Maybe you believe. Maybe you're just not sure. Or maybe you have an entirely different interpretation of all this. In any case, this story has a place for you. And we can all have confidence. Confidence not in our ability to read the evidence right, but in our Lord's ability, our risen Lord's ability, in grace to come to us face to face. Just like he meets Mary. You recall Mary Magdalene here, probably from the region of Magdala, town of Magdala in the region of Galilee. She was the one whom the Luke's gospel tells us had seven demons driven out of her. So she'd had some darkness. She'd been delivered, but now here she is once again sitting in the dark. Other two disciples have run home. Verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying and she wept. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go and say to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that these, she told him that he had said these things to her. When we start, Mary is in tears. She has reason to be in tears. She sees that Jesus is gone. She thinks she's seeing evidence of grave robbers. How do you read the evidence in your life right now? The job loss, job trouble, the pattern you're struggling with, the difficult neighbor, the harsh coworker, an aging body, a body that's getting heavier for some of us, a lab pathology report you're waiting for, or one that gave you tough news. How do you read all that? What do the signs mean? What does the evidence say to you? For Mary, the evidence of the empty tomb meant Lost. It meant she was robbed. But it turns out Mary wasn't robbed. What she really had in front of her was not robbery, but resurrection. What do you think you're looking at in your life? What are you seeing? How do you read the evidence? Maybe you're teary, hopeless, despondent, discouraged. Maybe... You have perfectly good reason to be, or maybe you know someone who does. Job losses, breakups, difficult people, physical and mental struggles, 
grief, especially around holidays, anxiety, family issues, friendship issues, dating issues, marriage issues, all that. All real and really painful. So much pain to be had. But in light of Christ's resurrection, there is always more to find. We tend to struggle to find that more. We tend to misread the whole of the evidence. That's what Mary did. But the resurrected Christ sends messengers to her. He then comes and finds her in the dark. He comes and finds us in the dark. He'll meet us personally in the dark where he met Mary. It'll show us. He'll show us the struggle is never now in light of the resurrection. The struggle is never just a struggle. Now a breakup is never just a breakup. Now a death is never just a death. Now an addiction is never just an addiction. Now a need is never just a need. Because Christ is risen. A struggle, a breakup, a death, an addiction, a need, a pain, and more become stages. They become stages in the theater of God's glory now bathed in the spotlight of Christ's resurrection to transform what's admittedly painful into a new thing, birth in resurrection power. That same power that St. Paul says is alive in us now in the Holy Spirit. The same power of the grace that St. Paul says is sufficient and made perfect. Where? In weakness. I met a wonderful person yesterday who has come through drug recovery and now has a family. I'm aware of another person in the grip of addiction who is an opportunity for growth for me and my family. Jill and I are walking with someone in the midst of a painful relationship breakup and watching new life and deep insight come into them. A ministry colleague once told me, there's always a resurrection. Think about it. Doesn't mean the tough stuff isn't tough, the bad stuff isn't bad. It's just never all there is anymore. There's always a resurrection. It sure can be hard to see. But our risen Lord helps us see. That's what he does for Mary. That's what he'll do for us. If you're like me, you need it. Without Jesus, we'll interpret the evidence more often as, I'm being robbed. The other day, someone was mean to our eight-year-old son, an adult, not anyone in our church, but a full-grown man who treated our son, he treated our eight-year-old son quite unfairly and quite harshly. I wasn't there to see it. I just got a phone call. I probably don't have to tell you that as a dad, when I hear of an adult treating my boy unkindly, and when I see tears in my son's eyes, Well, you can imagine my natural response in the natural man. But the Lord is risen. He's risen. He's risen there in that place and there and there and there and there and over there and in there and out there. And he's bringing new creation everywhere. Can I get an amen? amen? Thank you. So I attuned to him yesterday. And when I attuned to the risen Christ yesterday in the midst of my own fury, uh, an interesting thing happened. He met me in the dark. And as St. Paul says, with the same power that raised Christ from the dead, it's available to us now. This is not just talking pie in the sky, by and by. We got that. We got that covered. 
But it breaks in now. The resurrection power breaks in now. And in that moment, my anger and fury was replaced with compassion. Not compassion from Matthew, but compassion of Jesus, the risen Lord. The risen Christ overpowering my human self. And bringing compassion for this man who lashed out at my son. Seeing him in a whole new light. Going to protect my son, but I'm going to care for this man. That's resurrection. I can't explain it any other way. We had a family meeting. We talked about it. I prayed over our house. Jesus met me in the dark. Brought new life. And that's what church is. That's what we do here. We're a family living in Christ's risen presence. Sitting with each other in the dark. Struggling with the evidence. What is going on here? You know, scripture doesn't call the church the body of Christ just because it has a nice ring to it. It's true. It's who we are. We are the body of Christ, risen. And we're there for each other as we move in him in the dark. We move it in the name of the one who came to Mary in the dark. We come to each other in the dark. We spur each other on. We help interpret the evidence. It's what our Bible studies and our prayer groups and our support groups and all that we do is really all about at core. We participate in all of this together so that we're not so overwhelmed by the evidence around us that tells us we're being robbed such that we miss out on the resurrection that he's doing. There's always a resurrection. Not only is Jesus risen, not only does he rise and overpower death itself and come through death and have victory over evil and vindicate every single thing he ever said, That would be awesome. But there's this moment with Mary that we have to talk about. Evangelical Bible scholar Dale Bruner says, Jesus tells Mary, I am ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and your God. He says this as they're embracing. Jesus' relation with his father, who is God, is utterly unique. It's clear in scripture. Jesus is the only begotten son of the father. God is Jesus' father by nature and by right. But now, through Jesus Christ, the God who is Jesus' father by nature and by right, now is our father by grace. And we are adopted. That is the embrace. Jesus maintains the my, your distinction. He's uniquely related to the Father. That's the point of this my, your thing. But he also includes us now. We're included. And then he calls the guys who abandoned him his brothers. He says, go and tell my brothers. Grace given in this embrace. No grudge held. Some of us may think we've dissed God so long. We've fallen away so far. We're not worth it. Well, let me tell you, we're all imposters. Welcome to the club. None of us deserves to be here. None of us has the stripes to be here. We are here by his stripes, by what he did for us that allowed us to be welcomed. He goes to these guys. Then while they're scared, you know, I was thinking, I, I don't know. It says they were lowered or locked for fear of the Jews. I believe that. I wonder if there was any of them that were a little bit scared of him. <laughs> you know, after they, I just a thought, it's random thought, but you know, like, Wow, he's back. And I wonder if he's mad at me, you know. Maybe for some of you, you feel like God might be mad at you. God has every reason to be mad at all of us. 
But God chooses to love. And he shows up on the evening of the first day of the week, verse 19, when the disciples together, they are in lockdown. When the door is locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, and who knows what else, Jesus came and stood among them and said, you idiots, how would you not know? He says, peace be with you. Oh, isn't that good news? Jesus comes back not to kick butt, but he comes back to kick us out. Listen to how he does it. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. You can imagine the relief. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. He really wants them to know. That's okay. Is that Jesus saying that to you today? You feel like you're in God's doghouse. Or you know someone you might who might feel like they're in God's doghouse. And maybe they're hiding from something. And even from God... And we're going to be Jesus' agent to come and say, hey, peace, peace. And then he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Right after, he says, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. He's kicking them out. He says, if you forgive the sins of anyone, the sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is just his way of saying, you're God's reps on earth. God, of course, does the ultimate real forgiving. But when they stand in on his behalf and whether people accept their, what they offer on behalf of God or not, the people are kind of you know, forgiving or accepting God. And so the disciples are forgiving and unforgiving on God's behalf. That's what Jesus means. There's no reminder of the disciples' failure here. There's no, not even a call for repentance. He doesn't even call them out. We have so much calling out now. Calling out, I'm calling the out, you know, it's so sick of all the calling out. Calling out the calling outers. <laughs> grace. Grace. Sheer grace. The Lord shows up. So now not only do we have this new perspective that the worst is never only ever the worst now anymore, there's always a resurrection. We have a new perspective. Now we also have a new purpose. New perspective, new purpose. We're not, it's a way of saying we're not permitted to just keep this perspective to ourselves. It's not just for us. It's for everybody. Our risen Christ doesn't just give us a new perspective and say, okay, we're done. Just meditate on that every day and give yourself a hug. No, he wants to share it with the world through us. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Dale Bruner has this to say about this he says since the disciples are sent just as jesus was sent it's appropriate bruner says to say god so loved the world that he sent the christians mary and john doe out into the world so that every single individual who is simply trusting them and the one they represent will not be destroyed but have deep lasting life you and I are sent. The risen one pushes us out. Resurrection power can't keep still. It can't stay still. It can't stay in lockdown. Now, if we're honest about it, we probably all have walls around parts of our lives. You know, what are your walls? Like, okay, Jesus, you can come here. You can come here, but don't go there. We all do this. 
We're all learning about that. We're here to wrestle with that together. That's why we have small groups and ministries to open up our whole lives to him. He is patient. He has this way of walking through our walls and just showing up and working with us there. He walks right through him. His resurrection body is so similar that they recognize him, but uh, it can move through walls. It's Jesus 2.0. It's Jesus upgraded by resurrection. He'll walk through walls, empower us, send us. And like with Thomas here, he'll meet us in our doubt and then he'll lovingly call us out and say, hey, start believing. Notice with Thomas, it's not merely the evidence that convinces him. It's the encounter. And we see this throughout the story. It's encounters of Jesus that helps people understand who he is. Well, in the coming months here at Michael Teal Press, you're going to be invited to live sent toward our surrounding community. We have some very exciting things on the drawing board. Stay tuned, particularly toward young families and, and children in the area. None of us is always going to feel like stepping out. New risks are going to scare us. We like routines. We got used to being in lockdown. We'll be tempted to hide in the familiar and the known. But he's ever faithful. The risen Lord walks through our walls. He'll come to us. He'll give us the peace we need. Peace be with you. But then he'll push us out with a power that can raise the dead. We're the first ones raised and sent and changed. He's not stagnant. He's on the move. He is risen. And in him, together, we rise in new perspective and new purpose. May it be so for me and you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Thanks be to God.